Hey, Rockheads, if you couldn't make it to London this year for NSBCon, the very first conference all about in-service bus, we got some good news. NSBCon's coming to New York City September 29th and 30th. Two full days of sessions on distributed systems development from top speakers like Udi Dahan, Oranini, Ted Neward, and .NET Rocks is going to be there too. Not only that, but we're extending the deadline. Register before August 31st and get two days of video from Udi Dahan's course free. These videos will teach you about messaging patterns, where and when to use buses and brokers, and the right way to go about service-oriented architecture. These videos usually cost over $1,000, but we oh-so-gently twisted Udi's arm so you, our loyal listeners, can get access to the very best, but only if you register before August 31st. So join Richard and me at NSBCon and take your development skills to a whole new level. Go to nsbconnyc.com and register today. .NET Rocks, Episode 1021, with guest Scott Hunter. Recorded Tuesday, August 5th, 2014. Hey now, it's Carl and Richard, .NET Rocks time again. Hi. What's up? Uh-huh, you know... It's summertime, and I always get a chance to do a few electronic things in summertime. Replace some computers, upgrade some stuff, you know, good stuff. It's summertime, and that means my family's going bat and you know what crazy. <laughs> Those people need things to do. For example, I get an email from my mother just now, uh, subject, doormat, and I have your doormat. When is a good time? That's the email. I have your doormat. When is a good time? So does that mean she went to your house, stole your doormat? I don't know. I don't know if it's... Is this a doormat blackmail? Is that what this is? I I don't know if she stole the doormat or she has a new doormat. doormat extortion going on right here. I think that's a felony. I kind of think she has a new doormat for me and wants to bring it over. But that is I, really no fun. And I presume you didn't order a new doormat <laughs> from her. Of course not. No, this like, is just a random doormat event. Yeah, and I'm thinking, was I sleep ordering from Amazon and I accidentally shipped it to her? Yeah, you have unscheduled doormat deliveries taking what, place right what now. What is that all about anyway? I don't know. That's pretty serious. I, I want context. I need context. <laughs> so you just respond, context, please? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of non sequiturs, let's roll the music. All right, what do you got, buddy? Well, this is uh, not a new site by any means, but for those, uh, you've heard us talking about Kendo UI a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. We love it. Kendo UI is a tool set for JavaScript, HTML, CSS that does kind of, it's kind of like the Windows Forms control set for JavaScript, don't you yeah. think, for HTML? Well, anyway, there's a, they, Telerik has this really cool site, and you don't have to pay anything to check it out. You can just go there. It's dojo.telerik.com. And uh, I wouldn't be telling you this because they're a sponsor if it wasn't so cool. They have these tutorials that you can go through, and they lead you through um, using uh, the Kendo UI tools and, and what to do and, and how to do it and add uh, widgets and things, and then they show you the results. So you basically get to type it, run it, see the results, mess around with it, and it's really awesome. And so, you know, I was just feeling like these guys need a little more uh, love today. Nice. Yeah. So it's just simple, straightforward. I mean, this is all web-based samples, right? Yeah. I mean, so if you think of it, it's just sort of like JavaScript jQuery tutorials on steroids using Kendo UI. 
Nice. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good. And it's a nice way to check out the product too. If you know, if you, you, you some people have these Telerik subscriptions, yeah, and they don't even know they have Kendo UI. Yeah, it's just part of their bundle. Part of their bundle. Yeah. Cool. So there it is. Dojo.telerik.com. Nice. Yeah. Who's talking to us, man? Grabbed a comment off of show 1014, the one we did with Jeff Fritz, where we were talking a little bit about the next version of ASP.net and his take on the whole thing. And, and Brendan Parker said, uh, I was stoked to get an MVC app up and running on my Mac. Hmm. It didn't take much effort, although admittedly I was, quote, standing on the shoulders of giants. Hmm. I totally agree with the concerns that Richard brought up around the operation story and documentation needed for running and securing this kind of environment on a Unix system or a Starnix system, Unix, Linux, so forth, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the whole point about being running on the Mac. There's no IIS. There's no Windows involved. So how are you going to make that work? That wasn't something that I considered when playing with this, although I was far from being ready to make this, quote, production ready, which is fair. You know, the, the thing we brought up when we were talking to Jeff was this whole, hey, the way you secure a web server to the public is very different when you change the operating system. You may be able to get .NET to run in both places, but how you actually secure the web server is going to be dramatically different. Yeah. Also, on a semi-related note, I recently used Owen to self-host a web API and web UI via Nancy and Angular app within a Windows service. Mm -hmm. How cool is that? Yeah. It served as a light management tool for some processes that were going on within that service and also leverages some signal R to give some pretty good insight without having to dig through logs. So Man, I see I what he's doing R. here. He's scraping back end stuff and then presenting it via a web service, essentially. You know what I did with signal R recently? Not, not just to derail your uh, thing, but uh, I used um, PostSharp to handle entering and leaving while entering, really all the methods in a project. And in that one handler, I was able to send a signal R message up to a server and then, you know, read and watch the, the sort of the log happen in real time nice. over on my other screen. And it really didn't take much effort at all. So using it as a diagnostic tool that you just sort of see what traffic's actually hitting the site as you go? Yes. Post sharp plus signal R equals awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, Google Analytics can be a lot like that, too. Right. You know, the older daughter's got her her uh, her webcomic, mm-hmm. and every time she'll throw up Google Analytics as soon as she updates the page and just watch the traffic come screaming in. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement. This is a real-time WPF app using the Connect for Windows. Nice. So it was kind of hard to know exactly what was going on if you weren't yeah. watching it in real time. Well, and it's the thing. It's like instrumentation is the way now. We're expected yeah. to know. It's fun stuff. Yeah. So Brennan goes on to say, uh, for this application, it was perfect. There was no need to bring IIS into the picture. And I'm happy with the direction that Microsoft is going with some of these decisions that they're making and the tools that they're putting out and very excited about the future and what is to come. Thanks for the great show. Awesome. Thank you, Brennan. Appreciate your thoughts. And uh, yeah, we think all this stuff's pretty cool, too. That's why we keep doing shows on it. <laughs> so a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, iOS, and Android. Scott Hunter is here. He's the Group Program Manager at Microsoft on the Azure Developer Experience Team, which builds most of the developer-facing pieces of Azure and Web. This includes .NET Server Frameworks, ASP.NET, EF, WCF, Visual Studio Web Tooling, the HTML Editor, the CSS Editor, JavaScript Editor, and ASP.NET Project System, NuGet, Azure's SDKs, and Azure Cache. That's a whole lot of awesome to be in charge of, Mr. Hunter. 
Wow. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So are you the new goo? Can we say that? I've, dude, the, the goo's got like 10,000 people to report to him. Yeah. Well, he, that's because he got promoted. <laughs> you must have a couple of people reporting to you now. A few. Got a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do okay. A few. I'm all right. Just, just a few. I've always thought of you as the quiet Scott. I try to be the quiet Scott. So. Yeah. You know, there's the powerful Scott and there's the noisy Scott and then there's the quiet Scott. Exactly. Hansel, Hanselman's my, uh, you know, noisy Scott. <laughs> I don't know if you'd call him the noisy. So he's the humorous Scott. Let's say that. He's a talker. He is a talker. He is a talker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate, you know, I've had a chance to hang around with some of your teams once in a while. They seem very happy. You run a great organization there, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Hope the customers love the product too. So that's that's the the most important part. So well, and if you look at this roster of acronyms, it's all the stuff we're using to build web apps, right? Yeah, we we used to call ourselves the web platform team back in the in the in the days, and then after we were acquired by the Azure Borg, um, <laughs> did he say that? <laughs> I, I think I just heard. Can we play that back? <laughs> what did he just say? He said the Azure Borg. <laughs> I didn't know there were multiple Borgs in there. <laughs> the cloud is the future, so right? The cloud keeps eating more and more of Microsoft. So. Yeah. yeah, resistance is futile. Right. And, and resistance is futile, I can tell you that. So, <laughs> you, I, you know, I can't argue with that. Nope. <laughs> well, and it's such good things coming, right? Like, it's, I really enjoyed. It's a lot more fun to work with Azure than it was a few years ago. I think it's more the more fun version of the Borg. That's for sure. It's the Borg you don't mind having. The happy-go-lucky Borg. Yeah. You may have been yeah. assimilated, but it felt really good. Felt good. <laughs> I remember. I remember a, a, a Dave. Uh, I guess two and a half, three years ago, when we were first brought into the Azure team, and we were looking at what the developer experience was. And when you first jumped into Azure, and uh, I had my whole team in a room, and uh, I'm like, "Hey, let's let's build our first Hello World app in Azure." And uh, I had Visual Studio installed, and that was it. Right. And and so I installed the Azure SDK, which at the time I think was like a 35 or 40 minute install. Um, I then go to the Azure website and create a create an account. That was like a 15 or 20 minute process then. Um, and then we built the application and we published it. And at that time, a publish to Azure I think was about a 15 to 16 minute uh, publish. Wow. And my my team is looking in the, is in the room looking at me like. Are you, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You sure this is what you want to do? And uh, yeah, exactly. And and now you could, you know, if you have Visual Studio 2013, you don't even have to install the Azure SDK. You can just do file new, uh, create a web application and publish it right from uh, the publishing dialog to Azure. And the publish takes about five or six seconds. Um, so that entire experience that, that added, you know, 40, 50 minutes uh, in that, in the in the process now is is ten seconds. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um. It's 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 actually I think it's a joy to use. It's it's uh it's awesome. It's a, it's a great way for us to even try out a new versions of Visual Studio. So for you know for example if I want to try uh, the the Visual Studio two thousand I guess Visual Studio V next I'm not sure what they're even calling it uh, the the new CTPs that contain the, the V next bits hmm. right uh, There's an image for those in Azure already. You can just go and uh, click on one of those images, boot it up remote desktop the machine, use that new version of Visual Studio for, you know, an hour or two. When you're done, just delete it. And uh, you didn't have to spend any time making your own virtual machines and uh, setting up anything on your own machine. It's it's quick and simple. And so 
anything from doing that uh, to building a you know a dev test environment is just beautiful now. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys have seen all the all the tools we have now. We can we can do debugging. Uh, you can debug right from Visual Studio into into the Azure cloud. Yeah, um, that's no small feat, by the way. I mean, if you think about what's really going on, debugging something that's running somewhere else. You know, remote debugging's been around for a while, but I mean, the fact that it's up there and you're getting a breakpoint. Yeah, it's 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 super crazy uh, from the standpoint that not only do we breakpoints on if you have your own virtual machine, we also do breakpoints for Azure websites, which is depending on what tier that you're using is shared hosting. Right. And so there's other other machine, you know, other websites on that machine. You're debugging um, in a sandbox just your your website, not the other websites. So there was. You know, we we had to go bolt a lot of security and stuff like that to make sure that you could only see the processes that uh, that yeah. you owned and stuff. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's voodoo. It is. It it is voodoo. It, it in fact, some of it. I think it was actually. It almost was. Seems like it was an accident that happened one day. Is that a bunch of us were sitting in a room saying, "I wonder if we could make this work," and then like I remember, like a week later, I saw it work in like a super prototype form, and I'm like. Uh, we were like two and a half months away from the next Azure SDK, and I'm like, "Oh, we have to ship this." And, uh, <laughs> and then everybody got freaked out, right? Like you know, the boss just said, "We have to ship this. It's not ready." What are you talking about? The crazy thing was they actually said, "We think we can do it." And wow. uh, um, but it, it did require it required uh, a variety of teams, even outside of our team. We we had to have we had debugger asks for uh, the debugging team in Visual Studio, so we had to. It was perfect that 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 round, you know, required you know had a uh, update to Visual Studio as well, because we had to have patches in uh, NVS to make it work. Uh, but that's that's cool, and that's and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I I think the next step for us is uh, right now that that experience. If you if you used it, you have to basically uh, you go to the Server Explorer, uh, you can open up the Azure node, find your website, you right click and you say attach debugger. Um, we think the next step is really just to be able to say control F5 or F5 in Visual Studio directly to the cloud um, without having to attach debuggers and all that kind of stuff. So it's just all there. That's that's coming. I, I can promise you. I, I'm not sure if that'll be the next SDK or the SDK after that. Uh, but that is a goal to make it where that's how seamless it is, is uh, yeah. whether you do local development or you do cloud development, uh, want to make that as, as seamless and awesome as possible and and we have some even crazier ideas uh, that I can't go into a lot of details, but we also want to solve the problem of the the breakpoint stuff that we're talking about right now is it's great, but you wouldn't want to run it in production because yeah. a customer would hit a you know hit the part of code that actually has the breakpoint and the app's going to stop for them until you actually release the app in the debugger. Mm. And and so we're thinking of ways to let you actually do debugging in the in the live cloud um, without impacting the user. Um, and and so there's a bunch of cool thinking going on in there as well. So it's uh, exciting stuff. Well, I've always wanted IntelliTrace in production, and it's just not feasible. The, the IntelliTrace I can get today is so expensive. It's an unbelievable debugging tool when I have a known repeatable bug, but it's always the transient ones that I'm fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the stuff that I'm thinking of is uh, is kind of describing live IntelliTrace on the fly. Yeah. Where you basically... You know, just it would just happen dynamically. So instead of a breakpoint actually stopping execution, it kicks in IntelliTrace or something like that to do that detailed logging in that space, and then shuts itself off and moves that trace over somewhere, so I have a chance to look at it. Exactly. So imagine imagine a world where what you do is you put a breakpoint in, 
when the breakpoint actually hits, the IntelliTrace engine fires off and maybe records the next 50, 60 lines of execution. Mm. Right. It, it dumps a trace log. The trace log is then sent to your computer. And then you get to actually see the breakpoint hit on your computer and live move forward through the code execution, looking at all the variables, the heap, and all that kind of stuff without impacting the running machine at all. That's so wild. Um, so that's 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 something we're trying to do as well. So that's but you know once again it's how do you you know how do you how do you make the cloud easy? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, there's a big difference between Azure and Amazon, and it's ease of use and approachability. I mean, forget about power. I mean, just the experience of using them, the two side by side. It's like Windows versus Linux. Yeah, I think the portals are are dramatically different between the the two. And even even if you played with the Google Cloud, it's 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 similar as well. That you know the Amazon Cloud, uh, the UX is complicated with uh, lots of options and lots of names that don't really make a lot of sense. Mm. You know, I think the current Azure portal is is a pretty pretty nifty experience and pretty pretty seamless and pretty simple. So you, we did the show with Jeff Fritz on uh, ASP.NET V Next. What's your what's your take on it? What can you add to the story? Uh, to me, ASP.NET VNext is, is probably the most exciting thing that uh, I've worked on since I've been at Microsoft. Um, mainly because it, in, in a lot of ways, the ASP.NET VNext stuff is stuff that uh, a lot of us have talked about for years of what would we do if we could go back and correct some of the, the things we've learned, you know, yeah. over the, the last 12 years. Yeah. And uh, the, the joke is, you know, internally is, they're never going to let us do this. They're never going to let us do this. They're never going <laughs> to let us do this. And uh, <laughs> then one day they, they you know, they let us do it. And uh, I didn't hear the whole Fritz show, but there's a couple things I want to I want to drill in and, and make sure we clarify from the Fritz show. But the, the first thing is some of the whys on why, you know, okay, we've, we've been shipping ASP.NET since uh, 2002. And we've got a rich variety of frameworks, but w- what are the common pain points that our customers run into? And I, I think the most common pain point that everybody runs into, I ran into before I joined Microsoft, which is, man, I see that ASP.NET 4.5 has got this uh, new await feature, and I really would like to use that. Right. And, and you go talk to your IT department, and they're like, well, the server that this application's on runs 34 other applications, and we're, we, don't, we don't feel comfortable putting... .NET 4 or 5 on that machine because we don't have any idea what effect it might have on the other applications. And testing it is a nightmare. The only way we'd really know is to throw it on there, and I'm not prepared to make that many sites. You could, I'm putting my IT hat on. I've been on this side of the discussion. Well, and if you do throw it on there, do you even trust that if you took it back off? Yeah, that it would be the same. It would ever be the same again. I, yeah, because f- these frameworks, they're pernicious. I, I wouldn't trust that. So <laughs> I would never make that bet. And so, and so, you know, I, I found even in, in my professional career where um, we wanted we wanted to use the latest version of Visual Studio, we wanted to use the latest frameworks, and we were told not. We can't, we couldn't do it. Yeah, right. Uh, it'd be like a year and a half or two years. And that is a that is a, a problem that we solve with ASP.NET Next, and we solve that by having a framework that we can ship as part of the application. Um, it, if you've seen any of the demos that we've, d- we've done at uh, TechEd. Um, and some of the other conferences, my favorite demo to do with ASP.NET VNext is we actually build a, an application on the, on, in Visual Studio and we then publish it to a memory stick. And then we go out to the audience and say, does anybody have a laptop we can borrow? We stick mm. the memory stick in the side of the laptop 
and there's a batch file that'll be at the root of the uh, the folder that the application's in. You run the batch file, it starts running the web server, and you can take your take your machine and go to localhost colon five thousand, and the app is running on the machine. And we have not installed a single thing anywhere on the box. Wow! Wow, indeed. Well, that's you know, how long ago were we promised XCopy deploy? Yeah. You know, we talked to XCopy Deploy has been something that, especially you guys, have, have interviewing all the people at Microsoft over the years. I'm sure you probably have heard yeah, mentions of that before. That there, there, are all kinds of thoughts about, you know, how do you do these kinds of things? And and uh, I I I think in the past it it never really happened because um, there's a bunch of compromises. And I don't know how much Fritz got in the compromises, but there there are you know to have that side by side framework in your application, there's some compromises. And the, the biggest compromise right now is that's not the, the the framework that we're using in that in that case is not the full 4.5.x dot uh, net. You know, that's a 200 meg installed and probably 400 meg once it's been engined uh, framework. We obviously are not going to put 500 megs in the bin folder of your web application. Right. No. Um, and so this this is a subset of the full framework. If you look at it, just, just one of the images, if you look at x86 and x64, each of those is about 10 megs a piece. And so it ends up being, if you ship both both runtimes, it's about a 20 meg uh, runtime. If you just ship one of them, it's, it's about 10 megs. So it ends up, we, we're shipping about 10 megs um, of the .NET framework. Um, but this means that you are seeing a sliver of 10 megs of the .NET framework. There's no WPF, there's no WinForms, there's no WCF. Wow. Uh, there's, wow. there's Indeed. lots, lots of framework that's not there, um, in this world. And so, and, and we don't, that's, that's what we're, we, we still don't know yet if we have enough framework in there. So, you know, we're kind of at approach as, as we're working through building this, we kind of bring in the pieces of the framework that we need as we need them. But one of the goals is as we bring the framework in, what we don't want to do again is create the monolithic framework, you know, both both .NET and Java are the monolithic model, which is like just throw every single thing you can think of into this into this one framework. You know, in the in the VNext world, we like to say, what if I can keep that core framework as small as possible? If I can keep that thing down to ten megs, and then if you want stuff, we bring that stuff in as NuGet packages. Mm. And so, hey, I want a data set from the ADO dot .NET world. Well, let's not just Put ADO.NET in the in the core framework. Let's modularize this thing back out and and give you a NuGet package, which is data set. And uh, the question is, we don't know if we're going to have enough of that uh, about the time that we ship the first version of this thing. So um, because of that, we a few months ago made a decision to also support the VNX stuff on the full framework as well. That was my question. I mean, this sounds like a great feature for .NET apps in general, not just dot, not just ASP.NET. So I think the the uh, in a lot of ways the the feature that we're talking about actually will have. So shipping the framework as part of your application is something that's hap- that, that's being worked on for client apps as well. So if you're building a a Windows Phone or a Windows Store application uh, t- at the build conference, we previewed something called uh, native applications. .NET native. And the .NET, in the .NET native world, what actually happens is we take the .NET framework and your application and we run them through the C++ compiler. And we, we compile the framework into your application. What? 
And that means you get the same benefits that I'm getting on the server side with my, with my effort on the client application. So that means a hello world Windows store app ends up being, I, I want to say it's less than two megs. And, wow. and that, that contains garbage collection, all the .NET people are used to. Um, but what happens is that that compilation step, only the pieces of the framework that your application is actually using are linked in. That is so cool. Yeah, there was this a long time ago in the .NET 2 space, I think, there was this uh, company called RemoteSoft that was doing something like this. They were, I don't know if they were compiling the native code, but they were certainly linking in the pieces, er everything that you needed into a single executable. Now, this isn't when Windows Forms was pretty much the the thing. And in that EXE, although it was big, it had everything that was in the .NET framework that was required by that EXE. We interviewed that guy. Yeah, we did. He was very hard to understand. I remember yeah. that. But he was one of those serious scientist types. Remote Soft was the name of the company. Yeah, Salamander's the product. Yes, that's it. Nice memory. Same, same kind of thing. So the the for the client, um, you know, you're compiling it in with the with the compiler. We don't want to do the same thing for web. Because, you know, client applications, you don't typically just modify a file and, and uh, refresh your browser. Uh, you know, most client applications are, are thicker in nature and you don't, you don't have that style of development. While with web, you know, if, if you've used, you know, ASP.NET the way it is today or classic ASP or PHP, in a lot of cases, you actually have markup files on the web server and you just go live edit the, the markup file and refresh your browser and, uh, uh, obviously, we cannot run the C++ compiler and do that step every single time you do that because that would that, that's going to take too long. It would make your development cycle uh, bad. But our hope in the long term is that we will let you be able to actually pre-compile a server app in the future as well. So, you know, you do all your development cycle and when you're done, um, this this would be probably in our V2 timeframe of the, of the, of the VNX stuff. And maybe yeah. we'll let you let you be able to actually compile that application as well, at which point you're web app is technically a native C++ compiled app giving you ultimate performance um, right out of the gate. So that's, uh, so, but I, th I think the, that model, you know, there's, there's uh, both the client and the server get the same benefit, meaning that if you build a store app like that, uh, a, a Windows store app, it's no longer taking a dependency on the framework installed on the machine. The framework is compiled into it, which means you can use the latest framework or latest technologies we have put that application on a machine, it doesn't affect anything on the machine. So it seems like both for client and server, we're coming to the same endpoint in, in what we give you. Because we've always had an issue of the framework was getting awfully big and no app used at all. But my fear was always that when you fragment this thing, it becomes unmanageable. Mm -hmm. So, but I guess if you're compiling it as part of the app, we're eating more disk space. Who cares? We've got lots of disk space. And I guess we're eating more memory, but we've got lots of memory too. Right. Uh, well, at the end of the day, I mean, as I said, that, that Hello, Hello World app's two megs. Is two megs really big? Right. You, even if your app is 10 megs, is, is 10 megs really big? I mean, I've got apps on my phone that are 100 megs. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? So I, 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 think, I think the economies of scale have just completely changed from the days of, you know, 12 years ago when .NET was first created. And it's really because you're compiling it as native code that you can do all that. Right. Yeah, and that's the difference. The remote soft guys were just linking together uh, assemblies that were required into one giant EXE. You're actually compiling it. They could have actually been doing an IL merge or something like that, where they actually extracted IL from all the components 
and then I, I'll merge it all together into like a single thing. I actually found the show. It's show 194, just to get an idea of how long ago we're talking. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he was one of those mad scientist he types. Was crazy. Was like, he was the, crazy. The accent was one thing, but he was just thinking on a level where we're like, oh, dude. Oh, yeah. Brilliant guy. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. And it was almost too good to to run. Like, you like, almost didn't believe that it ran. But it did. I, I actually used it, and it worked great. So so just to recap, just because I want to make some of these points super obvious to the listeners of the show. Right. If you want the the you know the ability to put the framework into your application, you're going to get the smaller framework, which means there might be some stuff that's missing that you want. And you know we're going to we'll address that as fast as we can, but I want people to be aware that's in some ways feels like a breaking change that you don't get the whole .net framework, mm. you get a subset, and we'll try to make sure that we have nuget packages to you know, supplement that subset and give you as much stuff that's that's uh, required to build to build applications. Um, we're we're technically calling the the, the this ASP.NET vNext, and I want to say that it, it is a breaking change vNext as well. So it is even though it's a lot of the concepts are going to be very similar. So if you're building Web API today, you're building MVC today, you're building ASP.NET web pages today, controllers are going to still be there. Um, all those concepts are going to work for the most part pretty similar to they do today. But one of the big, big changes is historically ASP.NET, um, other than Web API and SignalR, they've already kind of made this leap. Mm. We're based completely on system.web, the system.web assembly. And this is your HTTP context, uh, your HTTP module, your HTTP handler, um, that framework of, of stuff. And um, it's, it's interesting. If you go back historically, uh, we kind of la- laugh. The HP context contains what we can, cons- I, I, I like to say the largest object in the .NET framework. Right. And this was basically, when we were making the transition from classic ASP to ASP.NET, we wanted to make it as easy as possible for people to move between, uh, make that transition. And so we took this, uh, this ASP.NET context object that existed in classic ASP, which contained, uh, a server, a request, a response, a browser, a, a variety of objects um, that kind of let you touch everything of the request and build your response. We brought that over. And one of the negatives of bringing that over, first off, you know, at the time, it was it was great. It was a great decision, made portability great. But now, if you look at the type of web apps people build, some people want to build bare metal web apps where it's like, I've got part of my app that wants to just talk to a socket and uh, do as little as possible and use l- as little memory and, and be as high as the highest performance it, pr- it possibly could have. But I might have another part of my, my application that's actually the admin page and it's going to have, you know, MVC and uh, controllers and views and all that kind of stuff. Um, well, the old model didn't let you build that high performance piece because any request that came into ASP.NET, we nude you up an HTTP context object. Yeah. Right. You went through the whole pipeline. We, right. You you got the whole pipeline, so you got roughly that's thirty k per request that uh, that gets chunked in. When we were doing .NET four five, and we were adding uh, WebSocket support to to .NET, we're like, man, we don't want to make every time a WebSocket you know spins through here to to, mm-hmm. to new up thirty k, and we were able to shortcut uh, about twenty two k of that away. I think we I think we got the WebSocket request down to about eight k. And we'll be right back with Scott Hunter. But first, Richard, you know what time it is. Must be that happy time again. Yes, sir. 
It's time to run our MP3 bits through a C++ decompiler and see if the resulting code actually runs. MP3 bits? That's right. Our bits. <laughs> this is our product, man. Nice. Those are our bits. You want to execute audio. Yeah, absolutely. I want to see crazy. what kind of code that produces. <laughs> I think it sounds suspiciously <laughs> like a modem. I think it'll be all comments. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually time to give away a DevCraft collection from Telerik to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Join the Telerik Kendo UI Q214 release webinar, Enterprise UI for Every Device. This free webinar will showcase all the new goodies in the latest release, including data management and visualization additions, Gantt chart, pivot grid, tree map, mobile widget support for AngularJS, and lots more. Register now at Telerik.com slash Kendo UI slash release webinar. Awesome, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Isaac Rodriguez. Congratulations, Isaac. Golf clap for you, sir. Isaac just won the uh, Telerik DevCraft collection, and that's just about everything they do in one box. A big pile of awesome from Telerik. Hey, if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great sponsor stuff, and every December, we give away $5,000 worth of stuff, technology, handpicked by the winner to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club, which we pick at random. And we like to ask our guest, Scott Hunter. If you had five grand to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> he would buy silence. Silence is golden, actually. He has everything. I don't, I don't know what I'd buy. You could do the uh, Robert Scoble thing and just give it to a, your favorite charity. you got to have a gadget you haven't gotten. I want a smartwatch, but none of them are out that I want. <laughs> right. So I would, save it, I would save it for a future smartwatch. All right. If you're hanging out for a future smartwatch. Okay. How smart could it be? I got a feeling Scott has one of everything. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have a spot watch? You remember the spot watch? Oh, boy. Spot watch. It's a scary Microsoft thing. It's like, oh, let's do every everything before it's time and yep. then not do it when it's time has come. So Yeah. Yeah. No, that's when they were trying to do it over FM radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When there was no Wi-Fi. Yeah. And cellular was super expensive. Yeah. That's way ahead of its time. All right. So we're talking about this massive thing of replacing system.web, that to me is terrifying. I've built a lot of code that depends on system.web. Yep. So I think there's two ways to think of this. One is if you're, if you're, if you're using ASP.NET web pages, MVC or web API, um, you don't really need to touch that HTTP context object a whole bunch. I mean, a bunch of folks do because it's a, it's a nice shortcut. I've done it millions of times in the past myself. Yep. But. If you're, if you're trying to prepare yourself for the vNext world, we would say, you know, go use, there's, there's plenty of mechanisms inside of MVC and Web API to get access to the same information the context object provides via the, the mechanisms that those frameworks, um, provide for you. The, the big thing is, and, and, uh, what this really means is if there's no system web, it means web forms doesn't run in this new world. And, I don't want to say it doesn't run the new world. It, it means if you want to use this new version of, of vNext that lets you have the uh, framework be bin deployed, um, you're not going to be able to run web forms in, in that container. Right. That said, you know, we're, we're not going to stop 
adding features to web forms. There's there's new stuff coming to web forms in the, the next release as well. Um, uh, we're working to add HTTP2 support to web forms. Huh. Uh, we're adding support for the Rosin compiler so you can get the latest C Sharp and VB uh, functionality in web forms. Um, and uh, we're even investigating if we could do async model binding uh, for web forms as well. So it makes sense to me, Scott, that web forms stays there because it, most web forms apps use session and use the request and the response. And that you're right, the, that web forms relies a lot more heavily on it than web API or it is so baked into it. We, 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 we for years tried to actually uh, extract web forms from system web. Uh, and, and make, make it where it's more modular. And just, we, we, we've tried twice and, and, uh, realized it's a, a huge effort and hard to do. So, I mean, the point is system web is web forms. It, it yeah, is. Yeah. It really is. Take the whole thing. Yeah. They are symbolically attached and they're not going to come, come apart. And nope. so, um, and so as I said, you know, if you're, if you're a web form customer, you shouldn't feel panicked by this. We're, you know, as the as you know, we get chances to to go add features to it, and the and the and the, and the features are there to add. Like HP two is a great example, something we should put in there, and the Roslyn support, something we should do there. Yep, we will do that, but we won't have we won't have the same velocity because you know we can only touch that bigger framework on the you know cycle that comes on, which is typically every Visual Studio release, which is every year, year and a half, sometime in that in that time frame. So it will not have the same velocity, but it's also it's way more mature. Than anything else that we built. I mean, it's that's there's uh, twelve years in that thing, and so it's. Uh, but I just want to make sure people understand that uh, if you, if you want to take advantage of all the cool VNX stuff, well, you're not using the full framework, and uh, if you're using the, using the smaller CLR the subset that we have, and some of the web form stuff is not going to come there. Um, those are some of the the compromises. But if you're willing to take those compromises. You're going to get some awesome benefits, and those awesome benefits are going to be you get you know totally modular, mm-hmm. where you know the scenario we were just talking about before, which is each of those requests is 30k. In the new world, I can get, I can hand you a socket and probably spend you know 1k, um, and just give you the socket for some of your requests, and I can take the rest of your request on different URLs and give you a full framework. Um, but even that full framework is only going to use a few k, not 30k, because we're not right. trying to bring all that compatibility. So. Um, we try to make it look as close as, as to the old stuff as it can be. And I think there's a ton of awesome benefits. Um, some other benefits tool that we haven't talked about, which is one of my favorites is we've managed to make the, uh, the new framework run cross platform. So you can actually, you know, write a ASP.NET VNext app on a Mac. In fact, you actually on the intro, you talked about this. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, you guys have talked about this before. There's a, uh, there's a cool, uh, thing that we released uh, as, as kind of a example or sample called culture. That's K-U-L-T-U-R-E. And what culture is, is culture is a sublime plugin uh, that basically adds ASP.NET VNext support to sublime. Huh. And wow. uh, you can go to GitHub. And if you go to GitHub and search for culture, K-U-L-T-U-R-E, um, you should find it, and it's a pretty cool project. Um, it will let you actually open a, a, a ASP.NET VNext project in, in Sublime. Um, it will do uh, validation of the config file for you. Um, it'll it'll do compilation and show you the compilation errors. 
and you can launch the web server and and uh, all from Sublime. I wonder if this all isn't in preparation for the coming Internet of Things revolution. Am I onto something here? I think the Internet, if you think of Internet of Things, I think the, the VNext stuff makes total sense in the Internet of Things world because of the size of, of VNext. Uh, the size of ASP.NET VNext is so small that you technically can run it on anything. Now, that said, um, our friend Clemens Vasters warned us that the in order to be secure, uh, an IoT device, let's call it, you know, a device that's connected to the Internet of Things, needs to be a client only. And if it starts, uh, if you start down the path of letting it accept connections, now you have a, a security problem or a potential security problem. Yep. I, I was thinking of a, of, a, of a couple scenarios. One scenario I was thinking of is, imagine I'm building a router and I want to have a uh, web page that lets me configure my router. Mm. Most of us have that today. Sure. You could never have done that with uh, our previous stack. You're right. Our, previ- our previous stack would never fit on that device. You can now fit this, this stack on the device. If you want to go down Clement's path, um, I've now built you basically a, a version of .NET that's 10 megs. Mm-hmm. Um, that runs on runs technically on mono if you wanted to, which means you could actually run it on a Linux mono device and have it make client connections, as you said, and not even request, not even uh, handle server requests. Sure. Um, that's what's cool is the um, this is like micro framework on steroids. Yeah, yeah. And SignalR, I guess, is in that camp because I mean I've used SignalR in lieu of Web API many times just because it's sure. so freaking cool. And always connected. I don't know if we'll get a chance to, to release it, but uh, David Fowler wrote a really slick, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have used, there, there's this feature in, in a, uh, .NET 1 called uh, .NET Remoting. Oh, yeah. Oh, way back, yeah. Ow, that hurts. Oh, pain. I was just remembering, sorry. It was, I, I liked it. It was super simple, super lightweight. Um, David's got a, wrote, a, wrote a cool sample a, a few months ago that basically kind of re-implemented .NET Remoting with SignalR. Really? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're serializing objects and sending them over the wire. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Um, I don't know if we'll get a chance to do something with that in the in the in our V1 time frame, but that would I'd love to have something like that to go and take some of those cool .NET 1 bits that uh, people might in the VNext world want to have a solution for that we don't have a solution for today because we don't have WCF and we don't have .NET remoting and, and some of those things. Absolutely. That's very cool. I was only recounting the pain of configuration of remoting. Actually, when it worked, it worked great. Yeah, it was, it was again, one of those things that had the, uh, the fun XML file. Yeah. yeah, you had to control both ends very tightly. We, uh, we got rid of the XML file in .NET VNext as well. So that's one of, the, uh, one of the cool things is, in fact, we got rid of project files too. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, why do you need them, really? Part of the thing that makes a project file painful for at least a web developer is um, your project file in Visual Studio today has a list of all the files in your project. Yeah, so does the operating system. Every time you add a file, you have to like go touch this file. Um, and in our, in our new world, you can just drop files into the folder and um, we'll pick them up and run them and do all that kind of stuff. And it makes your VS experience much nicer because you're not checking in that file all the time and, and merging that file. A file that lists files is kind of redundant when you know the operating system does a really good job of that. You know, that's what the file system's for. That's last what time the I file checked. system's for, right? <laughs> I totally am with you, man. Totally. Uh, 
So, so you, that, that's a cool benefit too, is you can actually, uh, you know, open one of these projects and, and you can just go to the folder on disk and drop a file in and Visual Studio will just start showing the file. You can delete a file from the disk folder and it'll just disappear in, in Visual Studio. I love it. So it, it live checks. We're, we're, we're still going to give you the features to let you, you know, tell us not to compile something or tell us to ignore something. We'll, we'll give you the ability to do that. So we're not going to, you know, cut out some of the reasons you might have a project file. Um, but we think it's a, a way more simplified uh, way of development. Um, in fact, the the project file that you actually get in this Phoenix world, you can technically delete it, reopen the project, and we'll just create it again. So uh, <laughs> I love it because you're just reading it from the file system. Before we go any further, I want to ask you, are you an experienced developer or a project manager looking for a change of pace? Consider working with me and my world-class team at AppVNext, building the next generation Internet of Things and NUI apps. Are you in? Check out appvnext.com, then go ahead and send me your resume. Okay. I'm a conventional ASP.NET developer, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm probably still a little scared right now. Like, there's a have-have-not thing happening here. Although I'm happy to hear you're going to keep adding to system.web. Like, we're going to get some new features still. But is there a migration path? Like, what do I got to do to take this web form app and get to play in vNext? So that that's an interesting point. So um, obviously, you know, web forms is a pretty full-featured framework and does a lot of stuff for you. Yeah. Um, MVC uh, does not do nearly as much, gives you more control of your markup. Um, we are working on a feature uh, that we we're calling tag helpers. And the hope of tag helpers is we can start trying to bridge some of the gap between web forms and MVC. Um, and the notion behind tag helpers in, is, is, is interesting. We were, when we built MVC, we uh, added this fe- these, these feature called HTML helpers. So we said, Hey, we're going to have this. You want to put a text box up. We were trying to make MVC look more like web forms, to be honest with you. And so we right. had this, this markup you would put in, you would say HTML.textbox, and you would pass a bunch of parameters in, and um, it would sort of look like it was a control, but it really wasn't a control. Right. Um, and um, at the same time that we did that, this is one of these hindsight things. We've been adding all these great features into our HTML and CSS editors. And uh, as soon as you start writing uh, HTML dot, you, you're in the C-sharp editor. Right which means you have now lost all of your HTML IntelliSense. You lost all of your CSS IntelliSense. You've lost all your bootstrap IntelliSense. You've lost everything. And so we, we start looking at this. We're like, what if we could actually make something like an HTML text box look more like HTML markup? Mm-hmm. If it looks like HTML markup, well, then all the tooling that we have would actually work all the time. Right. And, so we're doing that, and we call the feature tag helpers. And the notion here is you can basically uh, either replace a tag, um, uh, you know, say let's say you want to replace the form tag with the with the equivalent of HTML uh, begin form and HTML end form to MVC constructs. In in the web form world, you would just say form run equal server. In our new world, you can actually register a tag helper, and a tag helper will see that that form. Uh, the regular uh, HTML4 markup and replace uh, that markup with some of the some of our glue, nice. uh, which allows you to do things you know like some of the uh, security checking and stuff like that. We can we can build right right into uh, the markup, and so the hope is is that uh, these tag helpers 
will let us, it, it will not give you the full fidelity of, say, a, a web form control. A web form control can actually touch the entire document. It can touch the entire, there's a full control tree there, and it could, it could walk up the path and touch a bunch of stuff. Attack Helper is a little bit more limited, and it can only touch the area of the markup that it's sitting inside of. It's, you know, for example, uh, if you have a form and you have a, a text box inside the form, the text box can't change the form. It can only change right. the, the content that's there. But it got, it gives us the ability to have um, some controlly like looking things <laughs> in the MVC world. Is that a technical I term? I love it. Controlly like. Controlly like. <laughs> <laughs> that's a as an ASP.NET twelve year veteran uh, term is what that is. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> awesome. And and so the, the, our hope is is that we can bring try to bring a couple of those concepts. We think Tag Helpers will let us bring some of the concepts from the web forms world. You know, hey, I can have a text box. And the and and the, the the text box that I might have with a tag helper might know how to do validations and stuff for me automatically, like the uh, the ones in uh, web forms did, or right. even or even crazier scenarios is um, we can start enabling the scenario where you build a an app and you get a nice server side rendering on the first request, and then the second request uh, a higher level client side framework like Angular JS. Uh, processes the markup. Um, and, and so maybe the, if you use, if you have a tag helper, the tag helper will actually know how to write the, the Angular markup for you. Uh, but it does it first time on server and you, and so we're looking at a variety of things like that, uh, to try to, try to make the experience more palatable to somebody that's, that's got a lot of experience in, in web forms. We're throwing around ideas of, if we do a bunch of these tag helpers and we, we do them for the same kind of common constructs that we have for a lot of things in web forms, we could even have a toolbox where you could actually, you would drag these things into the markup, not into uh, a design surface. Um, but that, that's one of our goals. One of our goals is to, is to make it easier to make that transition. And do you see this as a, like a cut and replace sort of approach or a direct conversion or just tools that are similar to what you're used to so you could build new pages and gradually replace your old ones? To, I, I would say it's more tools that that work more similar to what you've had in the past, right? Um, versus saying that we, there's a there's a I, I can already I can flat out tell you this: we are not going to write a translator app that you try to run no. through your application. Yeah, and I don't think you should. Yeah, we uh, we tried one of those in 2005 when we did uh, website projects in 2005, and it was a disaster for me as a customer at the time. Um, it 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 crashed. Or even after it ran, your application did not work correctly. Mm. And I'd, I'd rather not put you down that path. I'd rather what we're, what we're thinking of for when it comes to like a transition for even a web web API or MVC or SignalR application is we're, we'll give you a lightweight tool that will would probably change your project file for you. It would um, update your references, uh, potentially change uh, update if there's any namespaces that we change, it would fix those. But when it came to and then anything beyond that, we would just give you kind of a report of here's things you need to go change. Right. Well, and I'm thinking back to a show we did. I think it was with Hanselman a while back where we're talking about the sort of one ASP dot mentality and that you you could start building MVC and things alongside your web forms. It's not a big deal. And if I actually went through and, you know, I'm still obviously working in system web and get everything migrated to MVC, can't I now make a leap across to the new stack? With having learned a new coding style where I'm much more browser centric for my work, you know, the MVC system helps me a lot there. Yep. So that's 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 the goal is to is to just try to try to make it easier, but we're not gonna try to do anything magical to do that. No. 
And I think, you know, I think the bigger element here is you do want to change your skill set to think this more modern way about right. web development. Mm. Right. That's, that's another thing too, is we, we, uh, exactly. We, we, we thought about that as well, which is going forward, you know, what do we see web development looking like? And, and I don't have the crystal ball, but I do think web development feels like, you know, you're probably going to choose to have a client side framework like an Angular JS, which by the way, if you look at AngularJS, it actually has a lot of the same components and features that Webforms has. Sure does, yeah. yeah. And it looks very XAML-ish. Yes, it does. It's and, and in fact, the tag helper feature is actually a feature I would actually say that we kind of took from from Angular. Angular had their own format of being able to re- replace tags on the client side, um, and we looked at that and said, "What if we could replace tags on the server side?" God, I love this. That's cool. This is so great. Hey, Scott, you you hinted at, and I'm not sure. I'm clear on it, but you hinted at that this feature of being able to uh, compile natively into executables that will go cross-platform might find its way into other types of projects, not just uh, ASP.NET, but maybe the entire stack of .NET eventually? Yeah, as I said, it's already happening on phone and store. Um, That was shown at the build conference. Um, Does that mean that someday I'll be able to take a WPF app that I built in studio, compile it in the right way, and give it to a Mac guy? So for the for the for the cross platform right now, the cross platform work is only happening on the server side. Yeah. So so my my stack is the is the first stack we've done that actually runs cross platform, and we did that by making the low low level parts of our framework not take a dependency on. uh, It's part of the Owen kind of style stuff where we we kind of remove the connector that, that bolted ASP.NET directly to a particular web server. Um, that allows me to, to, to kind of disconnect myself from the, the server. On the client, I, I don't know if that's, uh, that's a plan. I think the first steps on the client are, are kind of what I was announcing, which, is they were, or which, which was announced to build, which is right. being able to natively compile the framework and stuff into your application and run it on Windows. Um, I can set you guys up with the right people to talk to if you want to talk about you know, the native stuff and, and what their thoughts are. It's just interesting that, you know, the, that it's Microsoft has become such a cross platform company lately. And it's, it's really wonderful. You know, I don't think, I don't think necessarily WPF app on a Mac is a great market. You know, I think. Yeah, me either. Yeah. I don't, I, but, you know, just to prove the point that if, if, uh, if the rest of .NET follows suit, then, you know, just about anything is possible. Right. I, I think, I think anything is possible. I mean, in our world, we do have console apps as part of, of as part of our v- next effort right now, mm. and those console apps would be cross-plat as well. So you could write cool. a, a console app, which could be a servicey kind of app uh, <laughs> that runs cross-plat. I could um, write a servicey app on a Mac for a Mac. <laughs> I like it. You could write it, you know, in in Sublime on a Mac with with that project I was talking about before, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I think the Azure stuff, the cloud stuff, is what really kind of opened up the sure the you know. And, you know, the fact of if, if you look, even the apps that you or I, you know, worked on in the past, I, I can't think of any app that I worked on, at least I personally worked on, that did not touch, you know, some other kind of system, be it Oracle on a Linux machine or, or whatnot. I, I think that the reality is apps are hybrid of, of a variety of technologies and they all need to play together well. And the, the cloud is super, super that way. If you want to take your on-premise thing, which can be built with a variety of technologies and move it to the cloud. Well, the cloud better support all of that. And that's why the Azure cloud supports Linux and 
um, all those kinds of things. So um, it's exciting times. I it's it's fun to be here. Yep. And and to see the changes and and of course we haven't even talked about the fact that you know of course everything we do our team does is open source. So this this thing is on is open source on GitHub and and you can go and watch the nightly check-ins. All right, Scott Hunter, thank you very much. What a great future it looks like. I'm excited. I hope, we, I hope you guys are. Oh yeah, we are. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a